This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. I hope you're having a really good summer. This is Trevor. In short, Paul. Paul, how are you doing today? Doing well. Yeah, I'm enjoying this this summer. It's uh, been pretty hot, a little hotter than I would care for. But other than that, we've been getting some good rain. So, you know, uh, it's supposed to be over a hundred this week here uh, in Utah. Yeah, I I do love summer, but I feel like it's right on that turning point where you know the first like june and some of that is like everything's growing and green and nice and then right around now not quite but in a week or two i feel like it starts to turn where it's just like okay when is fall yeah exactly <laughs> that's kind of how i am too dry yeah. yeah but yeah no it's it's going pretty well so far it's it, you know i have a similar thing with winter as we've kind of talked about where it gets to that point where it, it's just kind of cold Mm-hmm. and hard to go outside and I, I i've tried and i figured out some ways to start enjoying that time more yeah you know things that are particular to that time that i can do and i'm trying to do the same thing with these summer months where it starts to get just where i i think okay when's when's <laughs> school start again when is uh when is fall right. coming i want to start being able to put on sweaters you know <laughs> exactly i know one of those summer things that i've mentioned before that i continue to kind of rely on is just we have a nice hammock in our backyard with some nice shade trees and i definitely try to get out there and read whenever i can so that's definitely you know the summer evenings especially that's that's nice but there are those times in the day where it's just oh you know you're ready for something different so mm-hmm yeah. Well, I wanted to start today uh, just to give people a little bit of a roadmap of, of a few things that are going to come up in this episode. We are going to be talking about authors that we don't connect with, but we've got some ways of, of doing so that it's not just authors we don't like. Um, in fact, it's authors that we kind of like to like. We feel like we should like them. But we'll mm-hmm. talk about that in just a second. Um, we do have the winners of our new directions giveaway to draw and announce, uh, and winners, share some plural, winners, plural. Thanks. New directions. That's I'm really excited about that. I I, I'm excited for people to get those packages in the mail. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to start today with another giveaway. I want to just get this done even before we get into the, what are you reading though? I, I do want to get there too. Because our guest, as many of you know, last week was Mark Haber, and we're both fans of his books, uh, Reinhardt's Garden and St. Sebastian's Abyss. And I reached out to him. He, he works at Brazos Bookstore, as you know we've said before, too. And I said, hey, if we do a giveaway and we purchase the books to send from Brazos Bookstore, do you think you could sign them? for our winners? And he said, absolutely. So we're going to, thanks to Patreons and all of that, we're going to put some money towards buying those two books. So one winner, two books, both from, from Brazos bookstore and both of them signed by Mark Haber, the author, our guest and our friend. (laughs) Yeah. That's exciting. It, it, it is exciting. And I'm very, um, excited for folks who have been discovering these books. I've seen Reinhardt's Garden pop up a few times on like people that I follow on Instagram. I've seen uh, even more of St. Sebastian's Abyss popping up in general. Mm-hmm. These are excellent, excellent books. Fun to read because Mark's got a great way with language and with these rhythmic, you know, just you can't stop reading sentences. Mm-hmm. 
like rants only in Reinhardt's garden in particular. um, I think it's Hernan Diaz who has a cover quote on there that says melancholy has never been so euphoric. And that's how it feels at times. You're reading about melancholy and you're just like, man, this is so beautiful. I know. (laughs) It's lovely. (laughs) Yeah. So they're both such, such great books. And yeah, so I'm excited for some, some new people to continue to discover him. And like you said, it's been so great to see that he's, getting, I wouldn't say a resurgence because it's not like he's been around forever and ignored, but I mean, he's building momentum and, and more yeah. and more people are, are hearing about it through word of mouth. And and also I feel like it's starting to break out into the press a lot more and it's well-deserved for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. And so yes, one lucky winner will get both of those books. I, I need to check on international shipping, <laughs> mm. but I'll figure out a way if, if our winner is, is from you know somewhere else in the world other than the United States, congratulations. We will, we will still get these to you. Okay. So, all right. Now, how do you enter? I'm going to make this one simple too, simply because I did not sit down and think about a game or something like that. So I just need you to email mooksandgripes at gmail.com. Um, with a, you know, Mark Haber giveaway or giveaway, whatever you want to call it in the email. And it, again, it's not like that will disqualify if you don't do that. That's not a hurdle to enter. It just makes things as they come in a little bit easier to keep track of. I don't lose these. I do flag them all. It just is that one extra thing that makes it easier for me to see, um, a little less friction on my end, but just say giveaway. And then inside of your email, just say, I would love to enter the giveaway for Mark Haber's books or something along those lines. Very simple this time. Yeah. hope a lot of people are, have an opportunity to enter, and I look forward to getting those emails. You can, of course, share other thoughts with us if you'd like to, um, but you don't have to do anything other than just an email that says, here I am. Awesome. And even if you've read them or you own a couple copies already, I would say you could always enter to win anyways, <laughs> and then... You- give them away and continue to spread, spread the word about Mark. Cause That's I think true. giving those books away to a friend would be a great thing to do. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, Paul, what have you been reading? Yeah. Well, I'm going to start off on a high note for this episode. I think this will make you very happy, Trevor. So my wife had a bunch of audible credits and as many of you may know that have audible, like once you get those credits built up, it's so hard to like get rid of them because you have to try to get out of this. Like it's like a pyramid scheme or something, but anyway, so she had a bunch built up and she was trying to use them. And so I said, well, I have an idea. Um, And so she lent me one of them to use on a book. You may have heard of Trevor called Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. No ball. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little bit nervous though, too. here. Yeah, no, I've uh, been listening to it over the last week and I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's been just delightful. It's, it's, a nice plunge back into the fantasy world. But as you've mentioned before, he definitely has that talent to stand out, you know, I mean, in, in a overcrowded kind of, you know, that genre can have some stinkers as we've talked about, but he definitely has whatever it is, you know, with the capital I to kind of make himself stand out. And you talked about like how you'll be like 20 pages into a prelude and starting to get really connected to the characters. And all of a sudden he's like, okay, now we're going to switch to a completely different part of, you know, maybe a different decade or, you know, down the road, you know, a few miles or whatever. But even when he does that, he has this way of quickly getting you to buy into the next set of characters, which is really impressive because, you know, I don't know if that's a trope that goes back to Tolkien. You know, I remember like in the Lord of the Rings, my kids would get so frustrated because you'd be all invested in Frodo and Samwise and all of a sudden 
Tolkien would like skip you over and all of a sudden you're like over in this other part of Middle Earth and all that. So I know that that's like a common fantasy thing, but he's very good at within a page or two, you're already ready for whoever you're meeting next and diving in. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's great. I'm really enjoying it. I, You and I were chatting a little bit. He was on an episode of Literary Disco recently where they were talking about fantasy. And I think it was this one. I'm sure it was where he said he got the idea. It was kind of like a heist novel. Mm-hmm. Right? A fantasy mm-hmm. twist and yeah however far i'm in a third of the way or, or whatever i am a quarter of the way in definitely picking up on that so it's really fun that's great and i do think they just get better you know these mistborn mm-hmm. books so if you like it i do hope that it'll you'll keep going and see see kind of what i mean by it it's fun it's a good book and then all of a sudden he bl- kind of blows your mind with what mm-hmm. else he he's throwing in there <laughs> mm-hmm. so. yeah absolutely so yeah that's been great and then one other one that I have been reading is um, was inspired by the most recent episode of the One Bright Book podcast, where they were talking about Lolly Willows and Sylvia Townsend War- Warner. And I read that one and really enjoyed it probably a couple of years ago. And so after listening to that episode while I was stranded in the Austin airport for a few hours, um, <laughs> I was trying to think like I was, I was thinking I need to read more of her stuff. And then I saw I think it was on the New York, the NYRB sale that you picked up summer will show is one of your books i did yeah i I, and i tried to complete my collection of their sylvia townsend warner books yeah so that kind of inspired me i was like which one of hers should i read and i was like well i'll do that one so it's really good so far um i'm probably about halfway through um and i'll just give a really quick it's about a woman named sophia willoughby she's a young english woman um she's very well off and she has very strong opinions and her and her husband go through some trouble where he's basically unfaithful and he has this mistress who lives off in Paris. And so Sophia basically kicks him out and says, you know, I'm going to devote myself entirely to my children, but there's a twist where something very tragic happens. And so the first big section of the book is kind of her dealing with her world being turned upside down, both by her husband being gone and then this tragedy that strikes. And so I loved, I mean, that first section I was underlining and, marking like crazy. And then speaking of pulling the rug out from under you, it moves to this other section where she goes to Paris. And so now the section I'm reading is a lot about the revolution that took place in 1848. And she's kind of getting, I wouldn't say swept up in it, but she's meeting some of the people who are involved and everything. So it's very interesting. It's a very different than the first section. So I'm, you know, I'm not sure exactly where it's going to go from here, although I do have some ideas. Um, But anyway, yeah. She is just a really interesting writer. And every time I read her books, they're they're so odd, but like I don't know, there's something about them that she's one of those that you, you think about her books, you know, for months and months after you finish them. So anyway, I think you made a good choice on your your purchase. Yeah, that was a fun a fun sale to participate in. Mm-hmm. And my birthday's coming up, so it was it was easy for me to say, Hey, honey. There's this sale. I'm going to order me some books. It won't even be very much because they're yeah. going to be, I'm going to order enough of them to make them 40% off. <laughs> exactly. And nice. then there was See? the Harvard bookstore sale. I know. That's that, this time around, that's the one I took advantage of, but I still got almost exclusively NYRB. So, <laughs> oh, that's fun. Well, so I'm reading a few books right now. I, for my uh, two oldest sons, we are reading out loud. And then there were none. Oh, <laughs> it has to nice. come up in in some episodes. Exactly. <laughs> we already mentioned Brandon Sanderson. We have to mention that. Yes, one. yes, yes. Um, 
And they're really enjoying it. I'm having a lot of fun with that. For my two youngest ones, today we will finish the first book of the Percy Jackson series. Mm-hmm. I think it's called, I think this one's called The Lightning Thief. And and that's been fun too, to read with them. My wife has been trying to get me to read those for what, they've, they've been out 15, almost 20 years now. Mm-hmm. The first one anyway. And she read them and she always said, you know, the first one's all right, but they get really good. I think you'll really like them. You should read them to the kids. And I'm always like, well, how am I going to read the first one that's just all right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it has been fun and, and really nice to to do that with the, the younger two. But on my own, um, I, I've got two books to share with you. One of them uh, just came in the mail from the UK and it's the next uh, Jonathan Stroud book in his um uh, Scarlet and Brown series. So nice. the first one was called, I think, The Outlaws, Scarlet and Brown. These are going to get confusing if he keeps this up. This one's called The Notorious Scarlet and Brown. <laughs> I'm always going to be like, just call it book one, book two. I know. But this was a lot of fun. The reason I ordered it from the UK is that it doesn't come out in the US until March of next year. Oh, geez. Which is just silliness to me. And plus the the US cover for the first one was just absolutely horrific and awful and didn't show any sense of the book style, mm. the underlying things that I like. Like it has Scarlet, I think, on the cover jumping out of a window with bubble gum and wow. uh, like b- blowing a bubble. And I'm like, that it is not that kind of book. It is he he's you know, it starts out with death and murder and that they're outlaws and there's kind of an undead element there's mm. a lot of a lot of you know harsh things in a great setting and you guys made it look so stupid yeah and so i just thought i'm gonna keep on doing this uh, uk thing especially since i can nice. get the books so much sooner but that's been yeah. fun to get back into and then one that i think that you will be particularly interested in is i couldn't wait it, but i just got the arc of hannah orstevik's tiamo mm. Comes right. out from Archipelago here in a, in a few months. I think it's September is when this one comes out. But this is translated from the Norwegian by Martin Aitken again. And let me just read you the first little bit here. This is why I couldn't wait to, to, to keep going with it. Here's how she starts it. I love you. We say it to each other all the time. We say it instead of saying something else. What would that something else be? You. I'm dying. Us. Don't leave me. Me. I don't know what to do. Before. I don't know what I'll do without you when you're not here anymore. Now. I don't know what to do with these days all this time in which death is the most obvious of all things. I love you. You say it at night when you wake up in pain or between dreams and reach out for me. I say it to you when my hand finds your skull, which has become small and round in my palm now that your hair is almost gone, or when I stroke you gently to get you to turn over and stop snoring. I love you. And then it, you know, keeps going. But yeah, this is, this is a, a harsh, harder, you know, book in many ways than uh, the other things on my list. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I just, you know, a bunch of kind of fun storybooks, but in, in this one, she's talking about someone, you know, her, her cancer-stricken husband in the final months of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, yeah, September is when it comes out. 
this is their third book by her that that they're putting out and i kind of hope they keep on going so oh me too as you know she's a huge favorite of mine and love in particular but the pastor was also wonderful and yeah yeah, i've had my eyes on that one i think we even mentioned it during our looking ahead episode or maybe it was our archipelago episode is one of the top ones and just man that passage Mm -hmm. that you read i'm ready it sounds like it'll be tough but her her writing i don't know she's it's fairly simple you know it's not overly ornate or anything but man she packs a punch yeah amazing yeah absolutely it's it's Sometimes hard maybe to read a sentence and get a sense of that, but then you read several yeah. and it's like what other people do with words to mm-hmm. make a great sentence. She does with sentences to make just really powerful paragraphs and things like yeah. that. Oh, absolutely. With that happy note, <laughs> <laughs> why don't we start talking about today's topic? This this was inspired by our friend Rebecca Hussey, one of the hosts of the One Bright Book podcast. She was on Twitter a few months ago now and kind of said she she's she's not sure what's going on with between her and Robert Valser. Do you remember this, Paul? Mm, I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of saying I've I've tried his books several times and it doesn't connect with me. I don't understand mm-hmm. why other people like him. The thing that I really liked about the way she put it though is it wasn't dismissive of everybody who likes him mm-hmm. wasn't man i'm the only smart one the emperor has no clothes you know you hear that right. so often when you when you say i love this book you get people coming to tell you 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 shouldn't yeah you're wrong because they mm-hmm. didn't you know mm-hmm. um and i'll be honest i get that with brandon sanderson quite a bit because of this podcast there are a lot of our listeners who don't jive with him but who try him i guess because of my enthusiasm and they do not like it they don't mm. they don't rate his writing, you know, as anything special. And right. I would have to say, well, if, again, we're all looking for different things. And and I would agree with you. Brandon Sanderson is not Hanna Orstovic, right. <laughs> you know, in terms of these, these powerful little sentences. There's something different going on there. And I'm mm-hmm. totally, you know, I get it. Not always will an author, an author be serving what you want. Right. But I did like that Rebecca just kind of said, these are authors that I, I don't connect with. And saying, you know, I love walking literature, which is Valser. I need mm-hmm. to make a or I need to find the book that makes me fall in love. And I think I told her, well, you need to read The Walk by Valser. Yeah. And she has. <laughs> oh yeah. Didn't it do just it. didn't work. But she this is the thing that I liked how she put it. Because that we all have authors we simply don't like. Right. I I know I don't like them. I don't care. Maybe I even do think others are silly for liking them. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little snobbish or I just think that author is an awful perspective on things. And so I I know that. And that's maybe not the most um, fun thing to sit down and have a, a podcast about. Right. But she put, I guess all of these authors are ones I feel I should like. Mm. I just haven't figured them out yet or haven't fallen under their spell. And then she kind of, you know, clarified again in a way that I really liked. Yes, the authors I don't understand and that won't let me go. And so that's the way I wanted to approach this topic is why do we feel this way sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, that we don't like a book or we don't like an author. And yet when their next one comes out, we're going to check it out. Yeah. And 
then we're going to talk a little bit later after we announce our New Directions giveaway about some particular examples from our reading experiences. Mm-hmm. But let's kind of start with that. I think it's an interesting interesting topic, you know. I think I first put on my my document where I took notes, authors I don't like. Right. I knew I was going to not do it that way, but I did kind of think, well, what's the difference between an author I don't like and an author I feel like I just their time hasn't come yet or I have I have some morsel of faith that I will start to like them. Yeah. Yeah. Now I did something very similar. I have a list at the bottom of my document that's just like, these are the authors I don't like and I'm fine with that. And I don't really share those privately with each other. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, but then I was trying to think of that next interesting twist and there definitely are some like that. And I was trying to think of why, what, what, like you said, what's the difference between those? And I think for me, one of the things is as so often with us, it's kind of, those trusted people that you know who keep continuously talking about this author or or he or she comes up again and again or they'll share a passage and it blows you away but then you try to read the whole book and it doesn't click so for me a lot of it is just like so much in in the bookish community there's these people that I I know from having had so many books that we both love that we share a lot of common ground and we tend to like the same things from literature so for some of these authors where certain people keep saying how great they are and I keep trying and I don't get it, I'm like, okay, it's got to be me because there's got to be something that I'm just not getting yet. Or as we've talked about, sometimes different times of the year, different times of your life, you know, something clicks where all of a sudden, it, oh, I get it. Now it works for me. So I would say that's one of the the top things for me is just kind of the trust of of, of friends and, and critics or, you know, bloggers or whoever that had built up over the years where I'm like, okay, there's gotta be something to this more than just, I don't like it. Well, and, and thinking about this, let's throw it on the one. Let's, let's explore one of these threads where it's simply an author that you don't like and the people recommending it, you know, it, it's not going to ever be one for you, mm-hmm. it, but we still want to go through it. Is it that we've kind of created an idea based on the people who recommended it because we've, mm already liked the books that they've recommended in the past. And so when they talk about a certain other book or other author, we kind of think, well, that that's totally for me, Mm -hmm. but we're thinking of something else, you know, maybe not consciously, maybe not, we don't have a exact picture, but it just doesn't meet our expectations because, you know, it's like when you read a really great book blurb and then you read the book and it's just not very good. You know, the blurb made your mind, well, maybe, or maybe the book is really good, but it doesn't match. The blurb made you go a certain way, a certain feeling that mm-hmm. you wanted to capture from a book, and it didn't provide that. And so you're disappointed, even though well, that was still a really good book. Just right. But I'm disappointed in it. You yeah. know, I think maybe you and I both. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm going out on a limb here. Okay. I think both of us are pretty susceptible to loving things that we read. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, I I think I tend, especially if there's a lot of enthusiasm behind books, I think I tend to f- figure out a way to connect with it. And I don't mean I manipulate myself into enjoying it or or buying into the hype and I have to be part of that because I don't I don't think I care about that. I could be just talking myself or out of things right now, you know, be, you know, reinforcing a little bit of self delusion. <laughs> no, I think it's more that there's, there's different ways of approaching a, a book or a movie where you go into it and you, you give it the benefit of the doubt, or you can go into it 
not give it the benefit of the doubt, but I mean, you go into it with a certain mindset where you are trying to meet it where it is, or there's the alternative, which a lot of people do, which to me doesn't seem like what I want to get out of, of books and literature is you go into it skeptical and kind of looking to pick it apart from the very beginning. So I think a lot of it's just mm-hmm. mindset. And then the other thing I would say is both you and I spend so much time thinking about books, talking about books, talking to people about books, reading about books that I think a lot of times by the time I pick up a book, there's at least a decent chance that I know enough about it where I wouldn't have picked it up if I thought it just completely wasn't my thing. Yeah. And so I think that does eliminate some of just the low hanging fruit of just, you know, that is not a book for me clearly so that I would never pick it up. So I think part of it is that you're not just walking. I mean, not that we would never do this, but you're not stuck at the airport and you just walk up and you've never heard of the author or the book and you just pick it up on a whim because of the cover and and read it. I mean, I'm not saying I would never do that, but I think when some people do that, then automatically you go into it, but maybe with a different mindset. Yeah. If that makes sense. I think it would be hard for me to come up with a list of authors that I just hate because if I'm not enjoying a book, I don't finish it and Mm -hmm. I don't feel bad and I don't go back to that author. I don't, I don't look back. Right. And kind of like you're saying, I, I, you know, I get a lot of books I've never heard of in the mail, but they're always from publishers who know me mm-hmm. and who have chosen this book for one reason or another. And I don't always like them, but I never think they are so stupid for liking this. It's usually like, oh, that's not my cup of tea. Right. You know, and, and I'm okay with that. And I don't, and so I'm, I'm kind of with you. There's, there's a lot that I, I don't think I get into that part where I'm just, you know, one book after another from the bestseller list or something like that, that I I've done that before. And I know that that's not my way of finding books. I love, mm-hmm. uh, there might be some great ones on there, but a lot of them aren't going to, you know, it doesn't have the best ratio for me. Right. And so, yeah, I think we get these books from people that we trust mm-hmm. and it just doesn't connect, you know, it just doesn't quite, quite work. <laughs> when well, you mentioned something with the blurbs too, I think that's something I was going to touch on is, whether it's a book you've an author you've already read or one that you're interested in, I do think that kind of the the marketing and hype machine can kind of impact things, even from an author you've already read, where it's a book you would otherwise probably have enjoyed, but due to the way it was packaged or marketed or overhyped sometimes, or at least in my opinion, overhyped, you know, that can also taint things. Cause sometimes if you go with a book that you, you know, you have a vague idea of what it's about, but you don't really have too many expectations going in that can really lead to some wonderful surprises where, you know, you didn't know what to expect and it ends up being one of the top 10 books you read all year, for example, or something like that. But on the flip side, when some of these books are so hyped and and praised, sometimes, you know, you go in and you're like, okay, this book is going to blow my mind. Like there's no way I'm not going to like this. And it turns out to be a solid book or even a good book, but it can never match those expectations that are kind of set up for it. So I think that has played like there's an author that I'll mention later where I do think like that's been a factor in hmm. the way that I've not been able to fully connect with him because of just those initial few times that I tried to read him. I was expecting like some world changing event and it just wasn't that. Not yet anyway. Not yet. So, so we've kind of been talking about the one thread of here's maybe the reason we, we even encounter these books that we end up not liking as much as we, we would like to. What about the second one, though? Why do we feel still a desire to connect with that book? Why are these, the ones we're talking about today, ones that we aren't quite willing to dismiss and, you know, in some ways, maybe even develop really strong relationships with 
simply mm-hmm. because we are on a quest to have our faith in these authors and in our friends fulfilled, you know, right. why do, why do you have some of these that you didn't get along with and you, you're not sure why people love them, but you're going to keep on pushing yourself into that relationship. Why not? Why are these not so easy to, to, you know, to drop? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's different answers for some of the different authors, obviously, but I think one of the things for me, like with a few of the authors that I'm that came to mind for me, there were books in the past that I did like, but then later on, I lost the connection. And so I think sometimes it's like that search for, you know, yeah. there was something there at one point. And I've got that on fact, my list a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, have I changed? Has the author changed? Will that spark ever be struck again? Or is it just done? You know? And so I think it's kind of that chase for something that that almost was or kind of was and like you see the potential there but it's like will it ever happen you know so i think that's one example for me mm-hmm. that, that comes to mind at first you said do you have some of that too yeah yeah definitely a few of my authors maybe maybe one or two of them that i'll bring mm-hmm. up later on are are in that boat a little bit yeah yeah or like just there are things about an author that really intrigue you you know Again, I'm kind of looking at my list and I, I will go into more detail when we get into this. <laughs> yeah. But like there are certain things about the books that you really do like, but mm-hmm. it's not quite enough to overcome the things that don't work for you. But it's like that yet. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe there'll be that time where the, the balance shifts and all of a sudden what you do like about an author will kind of take over and overpower the stuff that doesn't quite work for you. So that's definitely something else. It's I guess the theme with both of those is kind of potential. You know, yeah, there's you see that potential. Yeah. And I, that's that's where I wanted to kind of see if we got to. Because in mm-hmm. my mind, I was thinking, this is kind of a hopeful episode in a way. And, and these relationships with these authors are hopeful. Mm-hmm. They can be frustrating. Um, when we get to my list, these are authors who have frustrated me. Yeah. Because I feel like they don't deliver. And then I think, well, maybe it's just me. And it probably is just me. And there was something there. I just, you know, am I maturing into someone who likes it? Am I growing a sensibility that I don't have yet? You know, a sensitivity to certain types of uh, books or ideas that at first, you know, kind of like I always tell my kids when we sit down to eat something new. Oh, dad, I don't like this. Well, no, you're just your brain isn't used to it. You don't know mm-hmm. what to do with that taste in your mouth right now. You'll like right. it. <laughs> you know that's hopeful and maybe a little bit a little bit pushy but <laughs> but but I do feel that way sometimes with books too where the first time I might read a certain style or certain thematic elements in a certain way it's new and and kind of twisted and maybe uncomfortable mm-hmm. and so I'm just not quite ready for it yet right and I will develop that over time and then they may become favorite authors. And I might even somehow sense that in them Mm -hmm. right now. And that's why I realize, oh, it's just not me. Now, I'm not saying that's, you know, like Rebecca's relationship with Balser is that, you know, she's just developing into that kind of, you know, so some of these are people that we're we're just not ever going to to jive with um, because it isn't the way we look at the world or the way we want to, to see things and, or, you know, the, the things that other people might be impressed with in the style or the way that it, it connects with something. Maybe, maybe it's similar to something we read in our youth 
And so there's more going on than just the words on the page. Yeah. And this just is, we're just not going to have that experience with it ever, but it's kind of a fun thing to think about. I thought, because there are, there, there are these authors that I don't really like, but that I have hopes that I will. And I even get excited when new books come out from them. Maybe this is the one. Yep. In fact, every author on my list is someone who could have a new book come out any year, any given year. None of them are, are authors who are dead. So yeah, they're, and I, and I get excited for other people who are excited about them. So, mm-hmm. but any other thoughts just in general? Well, I'm sure we'll be, continue to explore the ideas as we talk about the particular authors on our list, but yeah, the only other thing I would mention kind of just piggybacking off what you just said was, I think for me personally, like not trying to prescribe what anybody should do with their reading, but for me personally, I think it's important to continue there's lots of books out there that I know I'll love or like favorite authors that I can return to again and again. I do think that there's something in my opinion, kind of healthy. And I don't mean like in a vegetables way, but just for like continuing to expand your mind and try things that may or may not work. And it's kind of, I don't know. It's just, I don't want to ever be that person who just settles into a certain thing and that's all I read and that's all I do. So this is one example of, of how I think that that could continue to happen is just, you don't give up on somebody just because it doesn't work the first couple times. Um, you know, you continue to kind of explore and be curious, and you know that doesn't mean that eventually you won't say, "Okay, never mind, I'm going to quit." That, that's the end. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that, but I just think that for me personally in my reading life, some of these authors that continue to kind of stick in your brain, I think there's a reason for it, and it's just kind of kind of fun and interesting to continue to do that rather than just giving up and settling into something you know is safe. No, that's a good, that's a good point. And again, fun. There, there may be times when it's like, okay, I need to go back to old faithful, you know, right. And they can be thrilling. It's not that that's just a comfort nostalgic kind of thing. Maybe they're challenging as well, but it's challenging in a way that we're, we're comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it is, it is nice to, to branch out, at, but I'm with you, you know, there are probably people who wouldn't get that same thrill by, by, you know, con- con- reading authors that they don't like, you know, or trying, mm-hmm. trying them again. I'm like you, it's like a far be it from me to tell you what to do with your time, especially right. when it's time that you are spending reading something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's fun to have these untapped potential that you can sense, you know, it's like something kind of in the, on the horizon, that's just kind of vibrating there. And you, you're like, Oh, if I can only touch it. There'll mm-hmm. be all this, you know, light and, and enlightenment or warmth or, or, you know, kind of a mind blowing experience. I just can't quite reach it yet. And that's just yeah. fun. It's fun to, to think about. So, exactly. well, I'm excited to hear about which authors you have in particular, but we've got to take a little bit of a break. All right, Paul. It's time for the New Directions giveaway segment of our show. We will be drawing three winners. Um, again, the, the first person that we draw, that'll be the name that we submit to New Directions for their, you know, New Directions Classics, where their editors select a book a month to send out to their subscribers. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be doing that. And then we will be doing their, their new release. And I still did not look up how to say this author's name. Alhird Bacharevich. 
uh, I, I believe that it's a Belarusian name um, because it's translated from the Belarusian by Petra Reed and Jim Dingley, and this is Alindarka's Children. Um, so that one is the second name that we will draw. We'll be getting that book. And then the third one will be getting Mark Haber's choice of, of uh, Matthias Enar's Compass, translated by Charlotte Mandel. So you all know that before we draw names we do have to share some of the emails that we got from folks. We got a lot of fun things to read, a lot of enthusiasm about certain books and and all of that. And I will go ahead and read the first one, Paul, if that's okay with you. Sounds perfect. We did not put these in any order. Um, You know, we're not like building up to anything or, you know, this is just some of the, some of the ones that we selected. This first one is from Pat Hicks. Pat says, hi fellas. One of my favorite authors in the New Directions backlist is Bohumil Hrabel. I actually picked this one for you, Paul, because I know you're a big fan too, and we've talked about him and conject, you know, too loud a solitude. Uh, mm-hmm. Specifically, I served the King of England. England was the first one I read and fell in love with. Like all of his stuff I've read since, it's funny, larger than life in a way that hinges on magical realism and melancholy. Everything taking place in the shadow of major dark historical movement or. Er, historical moments and maybe most importantly it makes me want to sit in an old bar in Prague and enjoy a pilsner (laughs) (laughs) sounds wonderful as far as forthcoming releases I'm a sucker for the design and concept of the storybook ND series I'm also intrigued by milkweed smithereens and by Bernadette Meyer I consider myself pretty unfamiliar with poetry in general but I recently read Midwinter Day in the midst of a long Chicago winter and loved it, so would enjoy getting to know more of Mayer's works. Thanks, Pat. That's great. The next one's from Anthony Garrett. He says, I love Jessica Au's Cold Enough for Snow. I found it so beautiful and moving. It's a novel that shows when reviewers call a book simple, understated, spare, or any number of sibilant adjectives, they may confuse its size or the information it withholds from the reader, and in this case, its unnamed narrator, for its other qualities. Cold Enough for Snow is a novel rich in the senses. From the title onward, we get sensory images, cold enough, in relation to what's absent for snow. A page or a square of sidewalk doesn't pass without noticing what details might lie there. And in that vein, its exterior plot is easy to summarize. A daughter and mother vacation together in Japan. And the narrator does wonder what stories wait underneath surfaces, especially those of of her mother's internal life and her past. But the gaps in the narrator's knowledge and her questions about those gaps makes the pair's visits to museums and restaurants more evocative. Many similar books might at their ends reveal a history of trauma that answers a reader's questions and informs all they had read to that point. But here, the narrator wonders whether she doesn't miss, in her words, the painting for the pentimenti. I adore this book for its imagery and its lyricism, which are among the primary reasons I would read any book, but Cold Enough for Snow raises those literary tools to the point of an ethics by gently asking me if I appreciate the objects and people in front of me, or if I instead erase them for a hidden meaning I don't have, I don't yet have access to. And then it says, of New Direction's forthcoming titles, I'm most excited for Laszlo Krasnohorkai's A Mountain to the North, A Lake to the South, Paths to the West, A River to the East. I've long been a fan of Krasnohorkai's work, and the book's description seems like a return to some of his concerns in Zabo there below, which is my favorite of his works. I love everything about the sound of this nature-centered work. 
Thank you for hosting this giveaway and thank you for all the work you do for the literary community. Anthony Garrett. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. And I'm going to do a little bit of a preview of that Crash and Horkai book, um, if you don't okay. mind, Paul, because I just be got the ARC in the mail. And for listener, there were actually several people who talked about Crash and Horkai as being someone they haven't read yet, but would like to. Um, and so here's just a sense of that really long title. <laughs> yeah, really long. Starts with section two, because why would Crash and Horkai start with section one? <laughs> you know, what, what's the point of that? Right. And here's here's the first sentence, at least up to the semicolon. Crash and Horkai has long sentences. And if I read this whole first sentence, it actually goes on for three pages until we get to section three. Um, at least I think there's no other, you know, period within all of this. But here's how it starts. And, you know, just listen to the various routes he seems to be taking. Hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden you meet somebody somewhere in the middle of it. And you don't know who it is or what's going on, but it's still kind of thrilling. It says, the train did not run along tracks, but along a single terrifying blade edge so that the balanced order of the city traffic with its ominous frenzy and trembling inner panic that announced the arrival of the Kihon train was the beginning to get out at Shichijo Street on the side where the Rashomon, now vanished without a trace, had once stood in the Fukuin district. And suddenly the buildings were different. The streets were different, as if at once the colors and forms had been lost. He sensed he was already outside the city limits. Altogether with a single stop, he was outside of Kyoto. Although, of course, the city's deepest secrets were not lost here, and especially so quickly. And so there he was, to the south, the southeast of Kyoto, and he started off from there along the narrow and labyrinthine streets, turning to the left or continuing straight ahead, then turning to the left again, and in the end he should have been beset by the greatest of doubts, and as a matter of fact he was, and yet he didn't stop. He made no inquiries and asked no directions, precisely the opposite. He went on asking nothing. He did not reflect. He did not hesitate at this or that corner, wondering which way now, because something suggested to him that he would still find what he was looking for. I actually read to the second semicolon because I didn't want to stop at the first one. <laughs> well, that's exactly what he does to you. Yep, exactly. I could have kept reading um, there too. It's just, it's, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's great. And I do agree. It sounds a little bit more like uh Sable there below. Mm -hmm. um, but this, uh, you know, this one's a lot shorter, a little bit more bite-sized um, yeah, it might be a great introduction for somebody who hasn't read him to just, you know, have a short way to dip their toe in the water. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'll move on to the next one. This one is an email from Bonnie Renzi. It says, hi, Trevor and Paul. I really enjoyed the podcast on the New Directions books. I have several New Direction books on my shelf and look forward to more. But one that I read in 2018 was a real masterpiece. It was my second Jenny Erpenbeck book and did not disappoint. From a review I wrote at the time, Go Went Gone is a powerful story that points out the desperate state of refugees not only from Africa, but from many war-torn and despairing locations around the globe. The author has chosen to use poignant and touching vignettes to display the ways in which the struggle to find a safe home is transpiring in the world today. This book, which should touch all of us, depicts the racism and general lack of concern for these people often displayed by the residents of the country the refugees find themselves in. How can we put ourselves in their shoes? How can we help them to no longer be invisible, especially those of us residing in countries that were built by immigrants? 
Now, she says, originally published in 2017, it, it's all still very relevant today. As I look at the New Direction's upcoming releases, I'm excited to see that The Bloater by Rosemary Tonks will be out in September, and it sounds like a doozy. It was already on my list of books to look for because it sounds a bit like it might be in the vein of the Dead Avocado and its heroine, the charming and hilarious Sally J. Gorse. The Bloater, by the way, is an internationally known opera singer that the protagonist, Min, is considering sleeping with. London in the 60s is in hysterical and humorous terms. What's not to like? <laughs> And then she says, whether I win or not, I will be buying the bloater and a lot of others on their backlist because that's what I do. <laughs> Thanks for adding to my overcrowded shells, Bonnie. That's great. So the next one is from Herb Randall. It says, Dear Mooks and Gripes Podcast, aka Trevor and Paul, I'm one of those benighted or fortunate souls, depending on how you look at it, for whom the New Directions back catalog is terra incognita. So it is with delight and not a little trepidation that your contest has spurred me to peruse the list. And oh my, am I in trouble. Approaching the catalog as a newbie is a near impossible task. How to tackle such a vast and impressive collection that extends back to 1938? I started with personally significant years, birth, graduation dates, great loves, birth of children, etc. I moved on to historically important years. Eventually, I was reduced to randomly clicking on interesting sounding titles from authors I'm not familiar with, as if browsing through the shelves at a favorite bookshop. In short, the list of books I want to read from New Directions is now enormous and unmanageable. Join the club. Um, with great wailing and gnashing of teeth, I narrowed it down to River of Fire by Kuratulane Haider. In the last year or so, I've been trying to break out of my regular diet of Slavic literature. Casting a wider net has led me to the tale of Genji, the Alexandria Quartet, and most recently, Wafuz's Cairo Trilogy. I've greatly enjoyed these epic reads written by new-to-me authors and set in places and times far from my own experience and expertise. Hyder's River of Fire looks like an ideal continuation of this journey, both in illuminating a history I know little about, with dazzling techniques splashed across an enormous canvas from an authentic voice. Having thus done the impossible by narrowing down my back catalog choice to just this one, I'm going to indulge myself by declaring a toss-up for the works I'd want to read first from the forthcoming titles. The tie-in to the tale of Genji, in a mountain to the north, a lake to the south, past to the west, a river to the east, appeals to me since that work was one of the most memorable reading experiences I've had in recent years. Plus, that cover is just genius. I can't pass up a good cover, whether with books or music albums, and have rarely regretted it. Now, having said that I'm branching out from Slavic literature doesn't mean I'm abandoning it, and so my other choice for an upcoming title has got to be Bakarevic's Alan Darka's Children. In a time when speaking, writing, or even selling books in Belarusian is both figuratively and literally transgressive, I want to do what I can to support their struggle. I'm a connoisseur of the art of translation, too, and the idea that this is translated from Belarusian and Russian into English and Scott is fascinating. I don't know if I'm going to... Good luck, Paul. <laughs> All right, here I go. It's hard to breathe. You're Hans Skedaddle. I mean, who couldn't resist that? And apologies for that slaughtering of the pronunciations there. <laughs> it says, besides considering my entry in your contest, I have one favor to request of New Directions. Please don't run a huge sale anytime soon. I just succumbed to NYRB's 40% off flash sale. My bank account needs a little time to recover. Much obliged, though, I suspect I'll need to start clearing some bookshelf space soon. Kindly, Herb. <laughs> a, lot, a lot I can relate to in that one. Yep, Good stuff. I thought so too. The next one I'll read is from Aidan Mulshine. It says, hi, Trevor and Paul. 
I was unfamiliar with New Directions Publishing before your episode, uh, but looking through their catalog, I see lots of books that I recognize, but none that I've actually bought yet. One book that stands out is Judith Shalansky's An Inventory of Losses. I've seen this book at my local store multiple times, and I'm always drawn to it, but I've never pulled the trigger and bought it. I find the idea of memories and history centered around specific objects very compelling, and I would like to read it soon. I also looked through the list of upcoming releases, and based on the pull quotes from my, one of my favorite filmmakers, Wong Kar Wai, I like Desai a lot. I would really like to check out The Setting Sun. Thanks for a great episode. That's great. And I would just say that, yeah, an inventory for losses, definitely worth picking up. You should go for it. The next one says uh, is from Joe Mochnik, and it says, Hi, Trevor and Paul. Thanks for another amazing episode and a chance at a giveaway from a favorite publisher. While I love my New Directions copy of Cesar Ira, Yoka Tawada, and Hiroko Oyamada, my most treasured and well-worn backlist title is The Book of Disquiet, the complete edition by Fernando Pessoa, which I read and carried with me on my travels in Portugal. This was the perfect book to dip in and out of, often enjoyed and dog-eared in cafes, bars, and parks around Lisbon. It's a special book, a lovely edition, and reading Pessoa also really opened up the city and culture to me. Looking ahead to the fall, I'm greatly anticipating Too Much of Life by Clarice Lispector, which sounds like it will be a treasure trove of the author's essays, memoirs, serialized stories, and other pieces. This should be a fantastic collection and a must-have for Lispector fans. Thanks again, and happy summer reading. Joe. All right, and I'll do one more. This is from Wendy Witten. says, hello. The backlist book I'd select is Celine's Journey to the End of the Night. I'm about halfway through St. Sebastian's Abyss, and I love it. So if Mark Haber recommends Celine, I'm confident it is is a classic I would enjoy. (laughs) The upcoming book I will buy is Spade Work for a Palace by Lajlo Krasnohorkai. I've only read novellas The Last Wolf and Herman, The Game Warden and Death of a Craft, his multimedia books Animal Inside and Chasing Homer, and one novel, Satan Tango, but I have all of his books and will read every one of them. Krishna Horkai is brilliant. Thank you so much and good luck to all the entrants. Wendy. All right. Well, I'll just echo Wendy there. Good luck to all of the entrants. Yeah. And let's go ahead and, and draw our winners, Paul. All right. All right. So I will go on to a random number generator. All right, Paul. Do you want to do you want to say congratulations to our lucky winner? Yep, I will do it. Yeah, congratulations to Pat Hicks. All right, Pat. That is the the maybe the grand prize, the ah, subscription to one year's worth of the New Directions Classics uh, catalog. Congratulations, wow. um, Pat. I will reach out so that I can get an address so that we can send that over to new or to to New Directions. Yeah, that's exciting. Congratulations. All right, Paul. Our next winner is actually someone who got in right at the end of the contest. All right. Second winner is Melanie Nichols. Congratulations. All right. That's the copy of Alan Darka's Children. Congratulations. That's the one with the awesome cover, right? Yeah, I love that cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and our next one. This is the copy of Compass by Matthias Sennard is going to go to Sarah Gore. Congratulations, Sarah. All right. And thank you, everybody, for entering. That was a lot of fun. I know we're maybe a little bit indulgent in reading the long emails, um, but 
what do you, I, I guess I'm one who, what, what would I cut out? You know, do I just read one paragraph from some of these really friendly and fun emails? No, we'll try and give you all a good sense of, of some of those that, that, that came in. <laughs> well, plus I feel like a lot of these people could write, you know, ad copy because as we've said before, as I'm yeah. reading those, I'm like jotting down a bunch of ones that I want to get too. People are so good at describing both the books they've read and the reasons why they want to mm-hmm. read these authors. So I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, we we accept the punishment of, of adding new books to our piles too. <laughs> exactly. We have to let people get revenge on us for all of our suggestions. All right. Well, congratulations again to the winners. Thanks everybody for entering. Don't forget that at the beginning of this episode, we had another giveaway for Mark Haber's books, uh, which we'll be drying out here in a couple of weeks when we record again. But now let's get back to the main part of our show. All right, Paul, are you ready to do this? To I'm ready. tell me the authors that you just can't quite connect to that you know I love and that are really That's going right. to you know hurt my feelings. No. <laughs> That's what I'm waiting for to step on your toes here. I'm afraid that'll happen. But yeah, no, I'm ready. Um, you want me just to kick it off? Kick it off, yeah. All right. Well, the first one I'm going to bring up is somebody that I read probably 15 or 20 years ago at least, and um, he's just so beloved by seemingly everyone. I'm sure that's not the case, but David Mitchell. Mm. Um, He's an author. uh, I I remember back probably when you and I first met, he was just going nuts. You know, people were just raving about him and talking about how much they loved him. And okay. So I've tried quite a few of his books. I've read cloud Atlas. I've read the thousand autumns (laughs) of Jacob Dezoet. I've read, um, what is it? Number nine dream. I think it is. Yeah. And then the, and then all of them, it's like, I just, I don't quite get where all the hype. But you keep trying. I keep trying. trying. And one of the reasons (laughs) I keep trying is I read one called black swan green Mm -hmm. that I really liked. And it's interesting because I think it's probably, it's been a while since I've read it. So I might not be completely accurate with this, but I feel like it's one of his more straightforward books. And so I could see, I mean, he is clearly very talented. There's something there that I could get. And even in the ones that I didn't care for, there's just that little bit of a glimmer where I'm like, ah, almost there. And (laughs) he's the one that I was going to say, I was talking about being overhyped and and the way that he's described, maybe turning me off a little bit sometimes. And I just wanted to read this, a little bit of this blurb and I'll give you an idea of what I find kind of (laughs) off-putting and it's not necessarily his fault, but. It says, a postmodern visionary and one of the leading voices in 21st century fiction, David Mitchell combines flat-out adventure, a Nabokovian love of puzzles, a keen eye for character, and a taste for mind-bending, philosophical, and scientific speculation in the tradition of Umberto Eco, Haruki Murakami, and Philip K. Dick. The result is brilliantly original fiction, as profound as it is playful. And, and you know, it just goes on and on for like two more paragraphs. Um, I'll, I'll read the very last part, too. It says... It gives a summary and then it says, but the story doesn't even end there. The narrative then boomerangs back through centuries in space, returning by the same route in reverse to its starting point. And it says, as wild as a video game, as mysterious as a Zen Cohen, Cloud Atlas is an unforgettable tour de force that, like its incomparable author, has transcended its cult classic status to become a worldwide phenomenon. (laughs) And I just, like, again, I'm not saying it's his fault, but I read it. And I think I probably had some of that in my mind when I started it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm reading it and I'm like, this is a pretty good book. Like, but 
I don't know, a postmodern visionary, one of the leading voices in 21st century fiction. Like, I just don't feel like maybe the the substance is back backing up all of the the flash and the excitement. So he's one. But like I said, there's still something there. It's not to say that. I mean, some of that is true. I would just take it down about 19 notches. <laughs> but like, I understand what's going on. I understand why people would like him. But to me, it's just not everything that I kind of hope it will be. Yeah. And so I keep going back and hoping maybe something will click eventually. Um, and again, like I said, I did really like Black Swan Green. So it's not that I don't think he has a lot of talent, but it's just, I don't know. Maybe it's just the hype. Your expectation uh, that you, things you were led to, to hope for and to, to find in these books didn't quite, didn't quite land. Right. Well, you're not, you're not stepping on my toes there too much. Um, but I will tell you one of my all time, just favorite, everything, 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 you know, when it comes to reading a time of life, um, I was in London living there in 2004. Hmm. Uh, That's where my wife and I met was that, that time in London. So I got to London right about the time that the, the Booker long list was announced. And then, you know, a month or so later, out comes the short list and I went out and bought all of the books Hmm. and Paul, it was an amazing time to be there for that. I don't know if it's still like this or if I was just walking certain pathways, but one of my taxi drivers talked to me about cloud Atlas. Wow. That was just in the air and it was so fun. And at that time, you know, I, I had not read a single word about cloud Atlas in the press or anything. I, you know, I I didn't have like an iPhone or a dedicated computer, Mm. you know, or anything like that. So I was just, oh, let me go on the computer, everybody, for a few minutes here and I'll Mm -hmm. see what the list is. And then I'll just run to the bookstore. So I didn't have any expectations going into it. And I loved Cloud Atlas. Yeah. So it really could have been something like that. But part of the reason that it still sits so pleasantly in my memory is just that time of life. You know, it was, it was, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, However... I did not, I, I, I did go on and read like Black Swan Green and really liked it. Um, but I did not like most of the rest of the work that I've read from him. He probably could be an author I'd put on this list too. The The Jacob DeZewitt book mm-hmm. was a really fun premise. And then just kind of surface bound, I felt, yeah, you know. And, exactly. And so I'm with you on on David Mitchell in general, though I will just, you know, say that Cloud Atlas can be magical. If, oh yeah. Uh, if if you're living in London and you know, uh, <laughs> having all those fun conversations with people, right? No, I could definitely see that, and, and I do. The one reason why I'm reluctant to even kind of poke a little fun at it is, I, you know, that I'm all for people taking big swings and trying ambitious things and going for it, and I do feel like, you know, I respect that he did that there. Just for me, it didn't quite land, but I can mm-hmm. totally see, like you said, it might've just been in the right circumstances. It might've been a completely different story. And that's why I, I, like I said, I, I'm not ready to give up on him. Yeah. Well, like I say, no one had told me that he was, you know, a po- visionary postmodernist <laughs> guru of the you know 21st century or anything right. like that. So, right. uh, so, but I, but I do appreciate you citing my blurb, you know. As yeah, you, as exactly. <laughs> Written from the back of a taxi cab in London. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the one that I want to bring up is someone that I always am excited to read their next book. And I do always love 
them and then they falter and I'm like, oh, did it again. And that's Neil Gaiman. Mm. Do you read Neil Gaiman at all? I do. And it's funny. I actually contemplated putting him on my list. <laughs> we need to we need to get some. We, you and I are, are too connected on some of this I know, stuff, funny. I feel. Um, I, I just think his ideas are so fun. I love listening to him talk about story making and about mm-hmm. the, you know these these stories that are coming to mind. And this is the promise that we were talking about. I you know a new book of his comes out and I think that sounds so fun. And I will read the first 90% of it and think this is this is really great and I just don't feel like the landings are at the end ever mm-hmm. ever quite pay off or get to where I want even some of his main main books and main titles they just kind of fizzle out and I'm like oh I wish you could write better endings yeah and then I would adore your books but that's the part that always sticks in my mind and makes it so that I I have a little bit of resistance mm-hmm. and it, it makes it so that it's unfair because now I look for it you right. know and that's not his fault um, and some of it's probably my own issues because I know people just still love his books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I get frustrated at myself and I think, why can't I just love what I loved about it? You know, why right. does my lasting feeling have to be one of disappointment when it could be one of, I loved 90 to 95% of that book. And you know, that that's enough for me, but it, yeah. I guess it just kind of isn't, you know, I, I, I want, I want that promise that the first 95% at you know saying hey this is a great story we're going to make sure you're impressed by the end of it that promise doesn't get fulfilled and that that means a lot to me i guess <laughs> no i'm with you i mean i think that's a common criticism that i have with like for example the horror genre in general whether it's movies or books a lot yeah. of times is all we'll this be talking about of... stephen king soon and that's yeah and that's something i think his books exactly and I think it's common across a lot of, of horror movies and books. And, and I think that's also maybe true of some other, you know, action adventure or different things, but is that whole thing of, like you said, it's so good. But then when it comes to the grand reveal or the wrap up or something, it's like, it can't quite do justice to the rest of the book. So mm-hmm. no, it's really interesting. I I'm with you. I, I, I keep checking out his books. Usually I'll do an audio book. Cause I really like when he reads his own books, he does a really great job. His, his narration is wonderful. And so I'll sometimes I'll listen to it, even knowing that I may or may not like the book itself, but I just like to listen to him. Cause like you said, his, mm-hmm. his views of the world, his, his imagination, his ability to go back to like myths and, you know, when he's yeah. done different throwbacks to different, you know, myth um, story making and things like that is so fascinating, but there's, I'm with you. There's not, there's always just a little bit missing for me too. And it's interesting because I think uh, stories are a series of promises to an extent. Like they build up uh, an atmosphere. They build up expectations of, of I don't know, of a, of a journey that you're going to go on. And I guess to have it then just feel like it gets wrapped up at the end because there wasn't, I don't know how to really end this. Yeah, it's just a, it's a little bit hard to take sometimes. Yeah, but I'm with you. But I'll I'll be honest. I'm sitting here talking about him and thinking, oh, I should go read one of his books <laughs> because that buildup is so fun mm-hmm. um, and so interesting. And yeah, but anyway, so an author that I know people love and I would love to love him more. Just don't quite yet. But there's a part of me that thinks if I can only get over my own hang up, 
Mm-hmm. There's no reason to dismiss his work or to stop reading him. And I could even become, you know, a bigger fan someday. Yeah, no, that's a great one. All right. You ready for me to do another one? So my second one is, I don't know how much I'm going to have to say about this. So I'm hoping you might be able to, I think you might be a fan. So I'm a little nervous to say this one, but Marilyn Robinson. Oh, I am a fan. I'm a huge fan, Yeah, but well, but it's okay. I, I have, I have been smacked down by <laughs> every person in my family, including my wife about Marilyn Robinson. Really? So, yeah. Okay. So, go so ahead. I might be walking it, into Hornets it again. Well, <laughs> I'm just used to it, you know? <laughs> so for me, it's, it's, this is, I was reluctant to put her on because I feel like I haven't necessarily given her a fair shot yet. So this is mostly, well, actually entirely based on Gilead. Um, and so that's where I do feel like there's a lot of promise. Cause I feel like that's not fair to rate an entire author based on only one book, but I don't know what it was about Gilead because on paper, everything that I read about it, everything I hear about it, I mean, it's right up my alley. I, I'll just really quickly, like it says in 1956, toward the end of Reverend John Ames's life, he begins a letter to his young son, an account of himself and his forebears. Ames is the son of an Iowan preacher and the grandson of a minister who as a young man in Maine saw a vision of Christ bound in chains and came west to Kansas to fight for abolition. He, quote, preached men into the Civil War, then at age 50, became a chaplain in the Union Army, losing his right eye in battle. So, I mean, I won't go on and on, but it, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of maybe like Tinkers by Paul Harding or has like some some echoes of maybe something like Stone or not exactly, but some of these historical books that I've loved that go back and kind of focus on one specific life and, you know, maybe some quiet lives like we've talked about, but I don't know exactly what it was about it, but it was just, it kind of left me cold and it surprised me because again, this is another one. I think a common theme with me is maybe I went into it with too high of expectations or just looking for certain things that weren't necessarily fair to the author based on what I thought I would find there. Mm -hmm. And so I do own, I I would say I own probably three or four of her other books. And so it's one, despite that, that I keep anytime I see one of her books in a used bookstore, I'll still pick it up. (laughs) Yeah. It's that whole idea of like, you know, that that hope, (laughs) like you said, I I know that there's gotta be one of these that I'll like. So I would be curious to hear what you love about it, or, you know, maybe that would help me kind of untangle what didn't work for me. I don't know, because a few years ago, it's been maybe two years ago, I chose it for a family book club. Okay. And I don't think anybody liked it, (laughs) Um, including, like I said, my wife, who knows that I love it. And so they all kind of felt the same way. Like, I feel a little bad, but but I'm kind of like, look, it's fine. You don't, certainly you don't, maybe, maybe I ruined your way of just kind of wandering into this book on your own, you know, Mm -hmm. but at any rate, when I first read Gilead, it was probably a year or two after, well, probably in the first year that my first son was born. Mm-hmm. And some of the passages in there about love and this relationship with his son mm-hmm. were so powerfully put to me. You know, this sense that, hey, it's in a way, you can do no wrong. Yeah, I love you and who you are. And I believed that, you know, mm-hmm. I was sitting there like, yeah, I can feel that. Like mm-hmm. right now, you can do no wrong. I will never not love you. And I will always just be like, well, that is just you. You know, there's something that, uh, irreducible that is you. And it's not your actions. I'll, you know, they don't add up to become you. It's who you are. And I, I just love that spark that is you. 
And I love how the book complicates that when his friend's son comes back and he absolutely hates this kid. And it's not mm-hmm. a kid anymore, but Jack, you know, he, he, he hates him and he doesn't understand why his friend, a fellow, fellow reverend, a fellow preacher is accepting him back into his life. Mm-hmm. And I thought this conflict of here's my unconditional love. That's kind of easy. My son is young, you know, right, right now I'm, and, and I'm not even going to be here when my son gets older because he's so old. That's a kind of a simplistic way of looking at it when you don't know the conflicts you might have that cause you to start to become separate or, you know, proud or the choices that that son might make that disappoint you to the point where you can't comprehend it, but you do things or say things that are hateful, even if you don't hate your son. And I, I just loved that conflict there of of here's my my lofty preachery thoughts about unconditional love, and then in his in his own personal life, he realizes very late in life, I don't really understand any of this, do I? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a preacher, I'm in my seventies, my my late later seventies, and I don't actually understand any of this. Yeah. And I just thought that that was so fun. But again, my, my family, their, their issues, they just thought it was boring and didn't really like his voice. And mm-hmm. I kind of was like, well, that's kind of the point. You know, he's right, a little right, bit right. proud and preachy. He's, he's writing a journal for his son because he's got so much to teach his son. Yeah. It gets complicated when he starts writing to his son about his jealousy. When Jack comes in, it seems to have, you know, some, not a like sexual relation, but like a, a friendship with his own young wife, you know, mm-hmm. Lila. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I do love that book and I don't know if that, you know, no. I, I th- mean, those that... are the, those are the things I pulled out, out of it. And I honestly, when I reread it, I thought, Oh, those are all still there. But I guess I could see the other things that I maybe just skimmed over, or you know, mm-hmm. that my family didn't really like. So, yeah, no, I mean, I don't really know that I could put my finger on because everything you just said is exactly where I'm like, that sounds great. Like I want to go read it right now, but um, I don't, maybe it was his voice and maybe kind of the, the, the preacheriness of it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you said, I do remember that it's not like it's written as if he actually does have the answers or at least throughout the book, it comes across that that's not the case. So I don't yeah. know if I went back to revisit. I mean, have you read, I know that there's other books in yeah. that kind of series. Yeah. Have they all held up? She's, she's the one that when it comes, I, yeah, I beg and plead and you know bribe the publisher to send me it as soon as they have a, any kind of copy of it available, mm-hmm. and I really didn't care much for Home, the next one in the series, but mm-hmm. I loved Lila about his wife, and okay. I loved Jack, and that's the most recent that's one, the right? most recent one about the boy who leaves and then you know has all these issues and then comes back. He's the one who marries the black girl. Mm. Um, so there's a lot that I think goes on now, but I'll sit, I'll tell you like one third of Jack takes place in a cemetery in just a conversation. And it could be very boring, but I guess I just like that Marilyn Robinson. I, I like seeing where she goes with those things. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, you know, I've kind of, that works for me, but I totally mm-hmm. understand that it doesn't work for everybody. Right. Well, again, though, in on paper though, that, absolutely works for me. I, I have no problem with books that a lot of people consider mm-hmm. boring. And I mean, I could read an entire book that was one conversation if it was the right voice. And so you don't like being preached to. 
But yeah, I'll, maybe yeah. that's it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but again, I do want to go back and reread that one or maybe um is it it's housekeeping, is that right? Housekeeping was her first one, yeah. Yeah. And I so thought just, that was pretty good, but it to me the Gilead Quartet, and I don't know if yeah. she's working on more in, in the mm-hmm. series, but that's where I really like it. Yeah. Well, like I said, definitely not giving up, and I even own enough that I'm tempted to maybe just start over one of these days. So hearing you talk about it, maybe that'll be the spark I need. So So an interesting thing with this too, though, is you know, and I think you've kind of portrayed a little bit of this. Isn't it interesting that with these books we feel like we should like, there might even be a little bit of anger uh, directed at the author or people who pushed us into it. It's an interesting thing. I've had plenty of people who almost want to get into an argument with me if they don't like a book that I really like. And I'm like, Hey, you don't have to like it. Yeah, but this is why you shouldn't like it. And then that's a little bit, you know, too far. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people do that, but most of them are just like, look, I, I think in the, in the desire to connect and figure it out, they're trying to establish their experience with the book. Yeah. Legitimize it. And it doesn't, and and I don't mean to dismiss it, but I'm also like, well, I, I really did like it. And I can't necessarily tell you all of the, the ways that, that it just worked for me. Right. Um, but it's interesting how these, some of these feelings of hope can also be feelings of frustration and anger that we're, we're not quite willing to say the emperor has no clothes and everyone's been hoodwinked. But I think there's a part of us that, that, is would prefer to just really like these books. And yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think some of the anger is, is focused on myself, like uh, disappointment. Like what do you, you're missing it. Come on. Like, you know, there's, (laughs) there's something to this that you're not getting. And I think sometimes for me, that's where it's not anger, but I'm like, it's that disappointment of like, you feel like you're missing something that everybody else is getting and there's gotta be something there. Yeah. But I'm trying really hard with these people to be like, look, I'll tell you the books I don't like that you like, and we can just have a conversation about it that doesn't involve an, a debate yeah. necessarily, but right. just a, a sharing of experiences. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to calm down and I feel like I'm doing a decent job with it. Yeah. But we'll, So we'll you see. and your wife are speaking again after she Yes. It. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's been rough, but no. And she did feel bad, you know, and I didn't want her to feel bad and I didn't want her right. to feel like she was incapable of connecting with the book because it is her own experience, right? It, it, it's not mine and it isn't mine to direct and she shouldn't feel um, that she's lacking in some way that I have, you know, that I have some virtue that she does not. Right. It's, it's one of the things that's yeah. so interesting and, and not like literature is so personal. And so somebody that you have so much in common with just, and then you read a book and, and you feel differently about it. it. It can be kind of jarring because it's like, we're on mm-hmm. the same page on almost everything or what, you know? So yeah. it's one of the fascinating things about literature and it's what makes it so powerful is just the connection that it makes with you on a one-to-one mm-hmm. basis. And sometimes we can argue about books that, that not argue, but like she, she does not like Jane Eyre because mm-hmm. it's, it's just, you know, Rochester is it's ridiculous. She would never fall in love. She's too smart. And I'm like, I know, isn't it an amazing book? (laughs) That's where it goes. He is so repulsive and awful. And it's at his most repulsive and humiliated that she marries him. (laughs) Like, it's so twisted. I love it. And she's like, no, it just doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) And those we have a lot of fun with, but there are some Mm. where you, you know, someone almost holds the book in reverence. Yeah. And you might feel a little bit like what's wrong with me if I don't, don't like right. it exactly. and that can that can lead to defensiveness or or frustration and 
you know, it just is what it is. It's hard to mm-hmm. hard to figure all these things out. But right. all right, let me go on to another one um, that's in in the same boat for that David Mitchell was for you. Where and, and I guess a little bit for me, where you, you've loved some of these works, and so you're gonna keep re- you're gonna keep reading the new books, especially when they don't write one every you know four or five years at most. Mm. Kazuo Ishiguro. Mm. Oh, Paul, I love The Remains of the Day. Love it. It's one of those books that I feel reverence to, that I feel Mm. has really impacted the way that I just am. Mm -hmm. And I love The Unconsoled, which, you know, was his next book after that. And I thought um, We Were Orphans was, was really good. And then I did not really care for anything since. <laughs> mm. And it's made me wonder, you know, why did I like those other ones? And it's made me even kind of think, well, I don't, maybe I don't really like We Were Orphans. Um, and and his early, early, early books, when I read, read them, I'm like, well, this is The Remains of the Day, just in a different setting. Yeah. I was a little bit shocked when he won the Nobel Prize, but I keep on reading his stuff. And my reaction to it, especially with something like the buried giant, and I, I, I hated Clara um, and the Sun. Mm-hmm. I, I hated that book. I read it twice because the first time I read it, I was like, "No, no, people are loving this book. Be, be, like it's across the board beloved this book." And so it must be me. And so I, mm-hmm. I read it again, and just hated it. I thought this is not even good writing. This is a concept Mm. that is done so well in other places. This is, and I've just had to step back and say, I might just not be there for him because Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not even getting the, the little joy of his sentences. Like I'm, I'm picking apart, like I'm, you should read my review that I posted on on my blog because I'm like picking out his sentences and saying this is a terribly written sentence <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is awful and then I have to step back and say I, I, I'm missing things but every time he comes out with a new book I'm ready to read it and hopeful yeah. like I was excited when Clara and the Sun came out I was ex- I was really excited when the Buried Giant came out and I didn't like it I didn't like it mm-hmm. much at all never let me go I loved the atmosphere again kind of thought well this is something I you know, that was written 50 years ago um, and has been done so many times since. And so there might even be a part of me that's like, look, you're writing things that I feel have been done. And I don't think you deserve the credit you get for the, the ingenuity, but yeah. But again, I could just be missing stuff. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I had, I mean, I, I feel the same way about the remains of the day. That's on my all time list. It's just stunning. And I've really enjoyed like, an artist of the floating world. I really liked a lot and some of his other ones that I've read. Um, and I actually did like the buried giant quite a bit. Although when I first read it, I don't think that was my initial reaction. I think I was a little disappointed yeah. and I, and I feel like it's one that's actually grown on me hmm. since I read it. It's that, but, that thought, right? Like I thought that the, the atmosphere was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just, I do feel, and that's why I read Claire in the sun again. I feel like I'm, the issue here. Yeah. But I will say <laughs> as much as I like him, there's still a fair number of his books that I own and have not read from his backlist. And when Clara and the sun came out and I heard what it was about, I have not even had any interest at all to pick it up and, and have not 
done that. So I, I get where you're coming from. And I mean, somebody else who was popular around that same time, Ian McEwen, I've had a very similar mm-hmm. experience with where I loved atonement and then read some of his backlist <laughs> and liked some of them to varying levels. But then some of his later works, I've been less and less inclined to well, even pick up. At the same time, basically, I think Ian McEwen's venture into AI yeah, with exactly. machines like me came out a year or so before Clara and the Sun. And so sometimes I'm thinking, did you guys just start reading sci-fi? You know, and, I know. and you're, you're thrilled about this. At the same time, though, Ian McEwen has a verve with his writing that I do fall into. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I do enjoy his books, even though I might also kind of hate parts of them, like parts right. that just rub me the wrong way, just because, man, he is, he's a pyrotechnic with, with words, mm-hmm. which I know can really rub people the wrong way. But I listened to him read one of his short stories published in the New Yorker. What is it? My purple hearted novel or something like that. And he reads it. And I thought, okay, you're just a, <laughs> a goofy, you know, you know, cause he reads it with this, with this smugness, but that's mm-hmm. an act. I can tell it's not him trying to right. be smug. And I'm like, okay, you, you know what you're doing. I'll, yeah. I'll accept that I'm just having fun here too. And that you're not trying to say I'm Shakespeare. Right. 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 Which helps, helps a it lot. Does. <laughs> well, but then like what you said, like Ishiguro is very much the opposite of that. He's very understated and he has a lot of these tropes or, or not a trope might be a little dismissive, but he tends to go towards what's not said and memories and things that are mm-hmm. buried. And when it's done right, like in the remains of the day, it can create some of just beautiful moments and these Mm -hmm. gorgeous characters and all this stuff. But it does open up that thing. Like you said, as you read more of his works, like is he going to the same well too often or, you know, like I feel like I already read this in a different setting. So yeah, that's where it does get complicated. I wrote that back at the time of never let me go. I kind of thought I can see, I can see his work. I can see his mm. thought process. I can see moments. I can see his decisions. Like I'm not going to talk about that for a while. You know, I can yeah. see his technique too, too strongly and feel, I can feel the the strings that he's pulling. And yeah. I felt that with the buried giant. And I felt that with Clara and the sun. And again, that's so unfair and so presumptuous of, of me. He won the freaking Nobel prize. And I'm telling him, <laughs> look, I can, I can see what you're doing. I could never do it. I could right. never do it. And I get that. And I love that he provides that joy and, and, um, and that people do love these books. Uh, no, but it opens so. up that interesting, what you mentioned earlier. I can't remember who you were talking about. Oh, with Neil Gaiman, where that is one of the tricky things where once you get an idea into your head for an author, though, whether it's fair or not, you start looking yep. for things yep. and maybe you never would have noticed it otherwise. Or maybe it's not even there or it's not there to the extent that you think it is. But once you get that in your head, it's pretty hard to shake. And so sometimes once you have these preconceived notions that I don't know, I don't want to say that it dooms the author, but it does definitely sets up some obstacles in that relationship, I think. Yeah, we'll we'll hit that again on my next my my last one for the day. Maybe before um, we we, we go into that too much. Let's let's hear your your last one. So my last one is. A, a little bit specific. So it's Zadie Smith, but her fiction, only her fiction. I absolutely love her nonfiction. I think Feel Free, for example, was one of my favorite collections of essays that I've read in the last five or 10 years. So I think her talent, especially for nonfiction, is just off the charts. 
And the thing that's tricky about it is I feel like her talent for fiction is also off the charts, but it's more for me. I just, there's something about it that rubs me the wrong way. So I've read white teeth. I've read the autograph man and I've read swing time in all three of those. It just uh, did, didn't do it for me. But again, when I read on beauty, which was one of her earlier ones, I really, really liked it. And so again, it's kind of that I've had a good relationship with her at one point. There's a sample from her past that I know when I connect, I can really enjoy her books because on beauty, I really did like, but um, white teeth in particular, which was the one that kind of gave her her most notoriety and fame. I reread it recently and it just, I don't know how you couldn't let it. it go. You couldn't let yeah. it go. <laughs> but it just, it irritates me. It's just, I think it's, I have a very um, short fuse when it comes to like quirky or kind of when the author is like nudge, nudge, like wink, wink, kind of, you know, see what I'm doing here. Like, isn't this character odd and, and enjoyable or, you know, like that kind of thing. And I feel like when, when I part ways with her is where she goes off into kind of what probably some people love about her is where she goes off into these, you mentioned pyrotechnics. She'll go off and do these really quirky, funny, strange things right in the middle of the story, which again, that's not like, there's plenty of examples of authors doing that, that I absolutely love, but I don't know exactly what it is with her, (laughs) but I think it's just kind of that. I don't know. It's like the knowing, like I said, the kind of the wink, wink between you and the author that for me, it just doesn't work. Um, so all that to say, it really bugs me though, because she is just so talented. And like I said, her nonfiction, her essays are some of the best that I've read. I mean, I love them. And so I will mm-hmm. never stop reading <laughs> her books because <laughs> I know that she has everything that I love in an author. Um, and I have a copy of NW that is actually autographed sitting on my shelf that I haven't read yet. Cause I'm just, I'm both intrigued and wary to, to pick it up. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I don't want those preconceived notions to, to ruin what otherwise might be, you know, a good book. So I wish I could have like a, a palate <laughs> cleanser or something to kind of like, you know, erase my memories right. and just go and do it with a fresh mind. But <laughs> so anyway, yeah, very complicated relationship with Sadie Smith. Cause I, I want to love her and I do love her in many respects, but I, there's just something about, like I said, going back to that same thing where I don't know if it's just in my head now where I start to pick up on some of these certain things that have irritated me in the past. And as soon as I see any sign of it, I'm just instantly get my defenses up or what, what the deal is. But yeah, you know, I do, I do wonder how many of these things could, you know, I'm not trying to equate this with like Trump, but you know, maybe a way to talk about it is, is a little bit triggering, you know, mm-hmm. like, or, or neat, maybe the better word. So, so I don't want to, like I say, incorporate, that that kind of stuff too much into right. this conversation that's not nearly as as in, important <laughs> right but maybe knee jerk um mm-hmm. is a better way of putting it like something is done and and it just spurs a certain kind of reaction in in yeah. us i can't i can't tell you my thoughts on her fiction i did read on beauty and really liked it but that was i don't even know how long ago and i have not read anything since yeah. other than what shows up in the new yorker um, mm-hmm. which I've, I've enjoyed it, but it's never been something where I think I need to keep on reading her, yeah. her work. It, it is a blind spot that I sometimes feel, you know, she's an important author, um, got a, an important perspective. I should read more. So I'm not trying to dismiss that. I just haven't done it. And that would be the reason why I want to go back and read her. It's not because mm-hmm. of any, any other thing someone has said that's made me go, oh, that, hmm. 
I like that. Yeah. And yeah. and now you've uh, made it even harder for me to think I should go and <laughs> no. Well, go go read her essays then, and that that would be a good entry point because, like I said, I man, every time that I see she has some new nonfiction coming out, I instantly go. Hmm. And I I love all of it, um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Well, we're being quite vulnerable here. You know, everyone thought, I wonder if Dorian's going to take away our Canadian citizenship um, I know. honors. He's not uh, allowed because some of the books that he and I, like, um, you know, when he talks about Cormac McCarthy, for example, you know. He doesn't have he, the, the, the the footing to, no. to, to, he can give it to us, but he can't. I know he away. has his own uh, <laughs> authors that, that are exactly like this, that we've had some fun discussions about. <laughs> Well, my my next one might be one that disappoints you. Uh-oh. Uh, I'm a, no. I'm, you know, feeling that that sense of vulnerability here, Paul. Yeah. We might this might be the end. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to happen. George Saunders. Ah. Yes. But no. I think a, a lot of it is what we've talked about with some of these other authors. I loved his work for many years. And then I started mm-hmm. to feel like, okay, we've had this story told, mm-hmm. or at least this way of telling me a story for him. He's got so much style and yeah. verve and his unique way of writing that I I love. But when I read another story that's in a different place and to kind of dealing with different things, and he's still using some of the same, you know, short sentences of like almost computer programming talk right, for, right. for characters, you know, I, I get it, but I, I don't, it doesn't do the same thing. And so I've built up this, I know what your game is. Mm-hmm. And, and again, he's someone that I love listening to he, today. I've, he posted something on YouTube, you know, a new, a new conversation with George Saunders. I'm going to go and listen to it. I love the way he talks about his work, about fiction writing He's got a generosity of spirit that I just find to be inspirational. Um, I love that he is so successful in doing what he is doing. I wish I loved what he was doing more over the last, you know, maybe decade or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of started with like the Simplica Girl Diaries, which again, I love the concept, but still felt like I'm reading, you know, did you just, some of your characters from other stories have now come to this world and are talking the same. Um, but I totally think it's me because when I step back, I'm like, I, I like that. I think about that story quite often. Yeah. You know, it's just that it's got this patina of my own issues, my own pre- and, and presumptions, you know, again, it feels so arrogant <laughs> to, to be like, well, I, I know what you're doing here. And that annoys me, George, you know, <laughs> it's not, it's so silly. Um, but I, I've, I've done Lincoln and the Bardo three times. Okay. Because I was going to ask you. Because I, the concept, I was so excited. Um, and, and that's when I got early. And we, it was, we, we were on vacation or something in California. And when I came home, I had a you know, bunch of packages. Um, it was when I was doing the judging of the best translated book award. So, you know, there's a bunch of things to kind of go through. And that was one of the packages. Whoosh, clear off the desk. You know, mm. it's 11 o'clock at night. I'm going to start reading this. And I didn't really like it. Mm. And then everybody started talking about it in terms that were so what I wanted to feel, you know, not just, oh, I really liked that, but, you know, they were, again, that kind of reverence almost like you could tell they had a really special experience with the book. 
So then I listened to the audiobook with all those actors, yeah. you know, and different voices doing it. And that really wasn't for me. Like okay. I didn't, they didn't say things the way that I was saying them in my mind. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't work for me as much right. as I like, um, uh, what is his name? The guy from Parks and Rec, Offerman. Oh Nick, yeah. Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love listening to him too. I did not think he was a very good reader of some of those lines. Right. And so that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. That was attempt number two. And I thought, okay, attempt number one was me maybe not knowing the flavor and having a reaction that I just didn't, didn't, didn't get what I wanted. You know, I didn't get the things that I was hoping for when you think of Lincoln and that sadness. Yeah. Attempt two was the audiobook, which just didn't, I didn't like the style. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm, I'm going to read it again. Me you know, just me and the book. Mm-hmm. And now I know what to expect. And man, it just didn't work again for me. And I'm so disappointed because I want it to. Yeah. I really genuinely do. I'm I'm tempted to try it again. And it's not just because of this episode. I've been looking at it and thinking, I want to, this is, this to me is the, the this is this episode um, perfectly encapsulated. Yeah. I can't let him go. And I can't <laughs> let that book go in particular. Um. So what is it? Now, I think I've been working through some of my issues because he's published some more stories in The New Yorker. And I think they could have the same criticisms or criticism, you know, the the same thoughts. And Mm -hmm. I have really liked him. I think I've sat down and tried to, you know, you said palate cleanser. It's a good way of putting it. I think I've sat down and said, no, push this out, you know, get into a Zen Mm -hmm. state and just enjoy what you love about this. He's still doing great work. Enjoy the things you love. Stop looking at the things that are, you know, are you, you've built up these things in your mind, these, and you're attaching them to a story that doesn't deserve it. Just pretend you've never done any of this before. And it, it has worked. I've really enjoyed the last handful of stories in the New Yorker. In fact, I've got one I need to send over to you. Um, (laughs) So I think I might be working through some of these issues with him, but Mm -hmm. I still don't feel confident to go back to Lincoln and the Bardo just yet. Cause I feel like that could someday be a favorite book of mine. And it's very weird that after three, it's still a book I don't like. And there's a lot of faith and hope, I guess, that goes into saying, once you're on attempt number seven, it will then become your favorite book. You know, is it worth it? That's what I meant earlier. I mean, yeah, no, I think that's fascinating. That's kind of what is so fascinating about this is there's those books like that. Like you said, it's not for lack of trying. But you're yeah. not ready to give up on it. And not only that, but you still think it could be a favorite book. I mean, to me, that's the tension <laughs> that makes this so interesting. When you you talked about the sadness of Lincoln that you were hoping for, have you ever made it far enough in that book where it gets into his head? When oh, I've about- I've read it the three times. Okay, it wasn't those were not attempts. Oh, 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 yeah. Th- those are three. Wow, I read it each time. Interesting. Um. And those are powerful passages. Oh man! It, I mean, it, those passages. it's all the distractions. I think. Yeah. That I no. That I'm wondering why are you doing this? What? Why? Like, I, and maybe that's part of my frustration with myself is I can't quite figure out the why of of how he did that whole entire book. Yeah. I don't quite get it, but like you. I love that kind of crap in other books, you know, throw right. in all these weird things that, you know, this Laszlo crush Norke starts on section two and it's, you know, all these trains and, you know, I, I don't know. I, I love it when authors throw in stuff that doesn't quite make sense or play with yeah. what is real and isn't like 
yeah, I know some of these things are, are things he got from true newspaper accounts, mm-hmm. you know, or, or actual things he's citing, other things he's made up. Right. I love that kind of stuff. I love right. it. I just don't, I don't get it in this mm-hmm. one though. To me, the heart of the book should be the Lincoln stuff. Yeah. And that's what I want. And so the other stuff, I feels like it pulls away from it when I want it to add to it. And I just haven't made that calculation yet or something. I don't know. Well, that's interesting. I mean, it's funny because as you talk about that, I recognize all, all the frustrations that you're pointing out. I, I think they're valid for sure. And I, I recognize them, but for whatever reason mm-hmm. with him, it doesn't bug me where with like Zadie <laughs> Smith, for example, it, it does. And it's, that's what I mean about it. It's so weird how personal it is because yeah. some of the very same things like books the, are the idiosyncratic, but oh, so yeah. are we. Exactly. Yeah. Cause the quirkiness and some of those things that I consider like my pet peeves, he could be accused of all of that in spades and, for whatever reason for him, I'm just like, I love it. I'm, I'm all in, you know, yeah. but for somebody else, it just drives me nuts. So it's, yeah, it's interesting, but <laughs> it's like my kids, you know, the older one says something. Don't you ever do that again? The younger one says the same thing. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. No, I don't know. Like you said, it's, I don't know. That's the kind of the interesting ongoing discussions that we keep having and, Maybe in a few years when we're talking about some of these books, all of a sudden we'll have that breakthrough moment where it finally happened. I did it. Yeah. Well, and and he has, what, what's his new one coming out in the fall? The, here's the thing that it is, again, fascinating why George Saunders really kind of is, is probably my go-to author for an episode like this. He has a collection of short stories coming out in the fall called Liberation Day. Let's see. It comes out on October 18th. Um, and... I'm excited for it. Yeah. Probably I've read most of the stories in the New Yorker, but I, I'm hoping there are a few that I haven't. But I put this in my pre-order like list. Mm-hmm. If if you know they may send me a copy, I don't know, but I haven't asked, and I'm I'm like, yeah, I want to buy this. I want to support you that way, and and kind of get it the way everybody else does. You know, it comes on that day, and and that's exciting for me that he has it. Um, but. Again, why? <laughs> right. Why is it that way? But it is. Yeah. Well, we, we talked about his um, a Swim in the Pond in the Rain, mm-hmm. which I don't believe you've read. I mean, that might no, be I did down, interesting. No, I did download it, but yeah. I haven't read it yet. That might be an interesting kind of appetizer or... Because I know the complaints that people have had about him is that he tends to do the same things. And I would argue, you know, there's still some of the stuff in, in um, Lincoln and the Bardo, but... It is a significant departure from yeah. his short stories. And then for him to do a swim in the pond in the rain, like I'm not saying he did it as a reaction to that criticism because I don't think an author like him works that way. But I will say, I would argue that people who said he always does the same thing, his last two books that have come out have been significant departures from what mm-hmm. he was previously known for. So, you know, I don't know. But yeah. again, all that no, said, I, I still totally get fair. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. He's a fascinating guy. So I'll be curious to see where he continues to go. He really is. And again, that's probably one of the reasons why I want to get it is that I'm, I love his work in general. I love who he is and how he gets out there and, and, you know, he's not just sitting somewhere writing. He's involved in the conversation about it. So when talk about authenticity, he's seemingly about the most authentic person I could ever come across. Cause every time I see him, I even saw him in person, met him briefly everything that you would think he was 
this the way he came across like i've he just yeah he seems like a, a very nice kind person who like you said his outlook on life is something that i really admire so if nothing else there's that but i also think his works are you know something to keep returning to as well well and i have all of them and i've you know gone through, i actually think i've read all of his everything you know mm-hmm. all of his publications i'm sure there's a thing here or there that he may publish somewhere that hadn't ever been collected that i haven't read right and i'm often thinking oh i'll go back and and try some of the ones i didn't like as much before yeah. um you know again especially these days where i feel like i'm getting to a little bit of a turning point yeah but well and i think i'm repeating myself but if you haven't tried his audiobooks with him reading that's something that i absolutely love like it pick up 10th of december mm-hmm. and the audiobook and listen to him read it i mean his style of, of reading is wonderful. I would agree with you because a lot of times he does the New Yorker. Mm, like mm-hmm. when he has a thing published in the New Yorker, he will do the the reading yeah. for it. And it is a lot of a lot of fun. It's, it's, we'll have to maybe talk about that sometime. Again, same thing with Ian McEwan's story. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I would have felt about that had I just read it on my own. But having someone who knows how to read really yeah. well and knows the story, boy, that was so fun. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that George Saunders is in the same boat. I put Tessa Hadley in there too. I love reading her, having her read her stories to me. Yeah. Um, like you said, that might be a future episode actually. Yeah. So I shouldn't say anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Plus we've been going on. I, didn't, I I actually thought today might be one of our 40 minute episodes, but I know what are we going to talk about? Oh, it's been two hours, oh. but that, that was a lot of fun and interesting conversations. Listeners, we're still the happy people that we've always been. Love reading. We just sometimes have feelings too, you know. That's right. <laughs> we've been hurt before. Feels very vulnerable almost to to talk this way because I, I love books and I love authors and I love what they do. And so I don't ever really like to come down or, no. and again, it feels so presumptuous. So hopefully most of what we've said today has come across as, you know, as Paul said, personal idiosyncrasies and personal connection with things and not necessarily like that's worthless or if you like them we just aren't friends right you know that's just not not who we are at all it's not even just a way i don't want to be i I don't you know that i i don't care other than i want you to enjoy things you read and love Mm -hmm. reading you know i love love that kind of stuff and if you're if that's what's happening then perfect all the where's and why's and how and when it doesn't connect it's fun to talk about, but it certainly shouldn't be the the point of disconnect between anybody. So hopefully no, we, sure. we're still friends, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and in that spirit, if anybody wanted to share, you know, any authors that they haven't connected with, I do think it's a very fascinating conversation. And mm-hmm. hopefully everybody knows by now that Trevor and I, it's a safe space. So it's not like we would be asking for any kind of criticism or anything, but I just am fascinated by the different conversations that arise out of these. Like I said, I've had a lot of fun fun ones with Dorian and other people online about, (laughs) you know, those types of things. So if anybody wanted to send in, you know, some discussions about that, I would love to to chat about it. Yeah. Share some of your authors that you feel the same way about, um, or tell us with the authors we talked about your own thoughts and why you might especially why you might love them. You know, mm-hmm. we do want to hear that and we're not going to write back and say, well, that's just silly. We no. really won't. So, all right, Paul, well, thanks so much for your time this morning. Yeah, Looking you. forward to, to doing it again here in a couple of weeks when we Absolutely. announce the winner of our Mark, Mark Haber giveaway. Yeah. Be sure to get in on that, everybody. All right. We'll talk to you later, Paul. All right. See you. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can find Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month, helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash mooks. Until next time.